0: Wow, that was incredible. As good as that was, can you imagine what those angels sounded like? Amazing, amazing. Well, Merry Christmas. Great to see everyone here this morning. I I, I can't think of a better place to be on this day than, than right here with family. I mean, after it all, we are supposed to gather with family. And, and on this day especially, praising God for what He has done for us. I mean, where else would you choose to be? So thank you for being here this morning, and I hope you're experiencing the joy and and the peace of this morning. I, I pray that the love and closeness of family has been has been apparent today, and I'm sure that you all would like to get back to that love and closeness as soon as possible. So I will I will get us going this morning. So what, what is the story of Christmas? I mean, essentially, maybe in its simplest terms, it is the king of the universe, the creator of the universe, the one whom the universe cannot contain, humbles himself and comes to dwell with us as one of us. I mean, that's really the story of of Christmas. And it is amazing. It is incredible that He would do this. Well, why? Why would He do this? That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to take a quick survey of the Scriptures this morning to unpack this incredible mystery that we celebrate today to show you this extraordinary and fantastic purpose behind the story of Christmas. And so let's let's start at the beginning. The first chapter of Genesis tells us of God creating everything. The first 3 days he creates environments, realms, kingdoms if you will. Day 1 is the day and the night. Day 2 we see him creating water and sky and then day 3 he creates the dry land. And then the next 3 day, God 3 days God begins to fill those kingdoms with their rulers. Right, He creates the sun and the moon to rule the day and the night. And then He creates the fish and the birds to rule the sea and the sky. And then on the sixth day, He creates the creatures that will rule the earth. Ultimately and finally on day six, God creates those who would rule His earthly kingdom. Genesis 1.26-28 and then verse 31 says this, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then on the seventh day, God establishes his rule and reign over all creation. The seventh day rest, the Sabbath, is God's stamp that He is sovereign over everything that was made. The world and everything in it are His, says Psalms 24.1. So God creates the space, and then He fills it with His regents, and then He walks with them in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve are in the very presence of God, in that place that He has created for them to experience this relationship, this place of delight and perfection. They are His people in His presence, in His very place. The place that He has created, again, for them to enjoy His presence. And this is God's intent. His people in His place, in His very presence. He created the place and then he filled it. And then he walked with his people in it. And then we messed it up. <laughs> Horribly. And ultimately we are kicked out of God's place. No longer to walk with him in the place that he has created for us to do so. Genesis 3, 23 and 24. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and the east at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Because of our sin, we are no longer fit to live in God's presence in his place. We are separated him because of our guilt. And yet even in the process of announcing His punishment for our sin, God displays His grace and His mercy to us. He tells the woman that one of her seed will ultimately come and destroy the evil that has caused this separation. There will be one who will deliver a fatal blow to the serpent to restore and redeem and renew all things. Yes, he will receive a wound in that process, but that wound will not end in death. The serpent will strike his heel, but victory ultimately will be his. And in this victory, we see our hope of restoration. The man and the woman are guilty, and they know it. They sew fig leaves together to try and cover their guilt. However, any human effort to deal with guilt is absolutely futile, as God demonstrates by covering Adam and Eve with skins. Genesis 3.21. So the Lord... I'm sorry, that's chapter 2. Let me get to the right chapter. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and, and He clothed them. Now, while it's not directly stated that, that an animal was sacrificed in order to provide these skins, it is widely accepted that one was indeed sacrificed. They needed a substitute. An innocent had to give its life in order to cover their guilt so that they could remain in relationship with God. It's also interesting to note here, I think, that we read that God made. The word there is, is asa. He made the skins because in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, we're told that God has rested from everything that He made. Asa. But here now, God is creating again. He's making something new. He's recreating here. Sinners covered by grace because a life was given. This is God's pursuit. He has created us for fellowship with Him. And when we broke that fellowship with Him, He began His redemptive work. His, his purpose is to restore that fellowship with us. You know, I find it interesting that people often ask, how could a loving God send people to hell? I'm here to tell you that God has done everything He possibly can to keep as many people out of hell as He possibly can. And that's the story we're going to continue to tell this morning. God pursues his children. He's working to reestablish his kingdom and his rule. But man decided they didn't want the king, not a heavenly king anyway. And so they rejected him. And I think the Tower of Babel is the pinnacle of this story. Man says, let us make a name for ourselves. We no longer want to be known by the name, Hashem. The one name will make a name for ourselves. They reject God, and so God divides them. And He spreads them out. And their sin spreads with them. Their evil, chaos rules the world. And Israel, God's chosen people, run into that evil in Egypt. They're enslaved, bitter, cruel taskmasters. And yet God brings them out. And he does so with the life of a substitute. Another innocent has to die in order for his people to go free. The lamb died to set them free. And after he brings them out, he took them to his mountain to establish them as his representatives. They were to be the ones through whom he would bring his kingdom back to earth. He would restore order and peace once again, and it would be through His people that He would do that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to bring His kingdom to bear everywhere we go. That's what He wants through His people. So on Mount Sinai, He showed us how to live for Him how to restore order from chaos, how to bring peace back into the world. And it's no wonder that Western civilization is founded on the Ten Commandments because they do restore order. They bring peace. They bring justice. So God wanted a people that would put him on display to the world to not only bring his message, but to be his message We are to display His order and His peace in this world of utter chaos. Our lives, our actions, the way that we live are to bring God's order into the chaos. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to do this. And on that mountain, God reveals something absolutely incredible to His people. Exodus 25.8 says this, Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. God tells them to build Him a sanctuary, a tent. And then He tells him that He will live where? In it? No. No. He says, among you. I will dwell among you. I will be a part of your community. I will be a part of your life. That is incredible. When God creates Adam and placed him in the garden, he walked with him in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve enjoyed this communion and fellowship with God that was lost to humanity as soon as they were expelled from the garden. Their communion and fellowship with God was broken and they could no longer dwell in His presence. In Exodus 25, after taking Israel as His own people and entering into covenant with them, God prepares to restore this kind of fellowship and relationship with His people. He desires to dwell among human beings again and have fellowship with them just as He did with Adam in the garden. The whole purpose of the redemption of Israel was so that God could dwell among His people. Listen to Exodus 29.46. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. Man was kicked out of the garden, out of God's place, but because of God's great love, because of God's great mercy, because of God's great compassion and His forgiveness, God humbled Himself to once again come and dwell in our presence and in our midst in the tabernacle. And I hope you understand the magnitude of this, dare I even say the absolute absurdity of this. And yet it is true. The creator of the universe, again, the one who cannot be contained by the universe, the one who is wholly outside of different than and above his creation humbles himself to dwell among a people who have rejected him and will reject him again. It is incomprehensible. And yet it is true. God would dwell among His people as a symbol, as a sign of His presence going with them. They were to be His people and to show His wisdom to the world. And so God's manifest presence would go with them. But even this isn't enough for our God. Once again, His people would reject His rule and His reign in their lives. His dwelling place among them Wasn't enough to satisfy him and to reconcile the world to himself. And so God becomes one of us. He would dwell among his people again. This time, not in a tabernacle made by human hands, but in a tabernacle that is conceived through a miracle. Listen to it in Luke chapter two. Behold, I'm sorry. This is, this is in Isaiah. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And then Luke writes of the angel Gabriel's visit to Mary. He says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And for this reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And yet as miraculous, as profound as this is, God in human flesh, it still wasn't enough to satisfy God's longing for this fellowship with His people. Fifty days after His death and burial, Jesus' disciples were gathered in the temple for the feast of Shavuot, or Pentecost. The feast that commemorates when God came down on, on that mountain and delivered his law to his people. Listen to Acts chapter 2, how it describes it. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves as they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. See, God wasn't satisfied to just live among us. He wasn't satisfied to live among us even as one of us. And so He decided to come and live within us that day there's this sound of mighty rushing wind there's fire god is visiting his people again and he filled them and he filled you you who believe he has filled you with his His very presence the same presence that made the mountain tremble lives within you Each of us who carries this precious life of Messiah within us, in our hearts, in our very soul, is in effect a small tabernacle of His presence here on the earth. We are the place where His voice and His presence can be found. And this is both an awesome wonder, but it is also an incredible responsibility. See, we individually and in unity with one another joined and held together, as we read in Ephesians 4.16, grafted in to the natural root, which is Abraham. We are the physical evidence of the covenant that God has made with His creation. That new covenant that Jeremiah says is written upon our hearts. The covenant was ratified by the pouring out of Jesus' blood for the forgiveness of sins, an atoning death, an innocent once again paying the price so that we could go free. And then that death burst forth in resurrection life and was sealed for eternity in our hearts through the Spirit of holiness. Through this imputed righteousness of Jesus the Messiah, we have become fit vessels for the presence of God. It is amazing. It is incomprehensible. But it is true. Everything, everything that the tabernacle and later that the temple represented its beauty, its meaning, its purpose is now deposited in the believer through this mighty transforming work of the Holy Spirit. To what end? In order that the glory of God's presence be revealed in the earth, in spirit and in truth, His love through His people can become a visible, tangible reality through the life of the believer. The sole purpose of God's covenant is to express his great love for his people and to dwell among them in the midst of them to be intimate in an intimate covenant relationship with them. We are his dwelling place on earth. And we are to be the ones who bring His great love, His great mercy, His compassion, His forgiveness, His order, and His desire to dwell with His people into a lost world. A people in great darkness. Amen? But even this, as unbelievable... As astonishing and staggering and shocking, however it is that you want to put this, even as profound as this is, God dwelling within us, it still isn't enough to satisfy God's desire to be with his people. Look at John chapter 14 and verse 2. And if this doesn't make you want to hit your face in worship, then I don't know what else will. Look at it. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus is building a place for us. God is creating again. He's building a dwelling place for us so that we can live with Him. Not in our place, but in His. God wants us to live with Him in His place as His people forever. That place where there is no more death, no more sickness, no more fear, no more tears. God is preparing us, shaping us, and molding us for eternity in His place. How good is our God? But not everyone knows this. There are those that have never heard this message. And we in this room are, as Paul writes, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We carry the manifest presence of God on earth and that presence is to show the deep, deep love of God to everyone with whom we come into contact. We are to be a part of God filling the place that He is preparing for us. That is the story of Christmas. That is what we celebrate today. The incarnation, God becoming man, this is what it is all about. That's what we celebrate. A Creator who loves His creation so much that He gave His own life to reconcile us to Him in order to bring us home, to bring us into His place as His people and in his very presence. So go. Just as those shepherds did on that night so very long ago, upon hearing the message that God himself had come to earth in the form of a baby, born to a virgin, what did they do? Luke 2.17, they made known abroad. They made known Widely, they told everyone about what they had been told and what they had seen. You cannot have an encounter with God and be filled with His Holy Spirit and not be compelled to share this message with everybody you encounter. You cannot... God is preparing this place. There are many dwelling places in that place. We are to go and to make sure they get filled. Bring the message of Christmas. God dwelling with us as one of us so that we could be free So that he could do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He gave his life just as that sacrifice all the way back in the garden gave its life to cover their guilt. Just as that lamb at Passover was sacrificed to purchase their freedom and to set them free, God himself gave his own life to cover our guilt, to forgive our sins, and to set us free and to prepare us for eternity with him. Let's go and make sure that God's house gets filled this Christmas and every day hereafter. Please join me in prayer.